0: Hello, and welcome to The Alt-Left.
1: Welcome back, everybody, to this week of The Alt-Left. We are here, episode 33, I'm here, of course, with the good Reverend Dr. K. Good evening, everyone. This week, he's good. And Matthew (laughs) Jumbo-Johnson.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome back.
1: So this week, as you may have noticed on the news, that uh, conservatives in Washington have finally stopped crying about uh, evil communist China and have moved on to evil communist Cuba. Because that makes sense?
2: I mean, if you're if you're a right winger, it absolutely does. Communism is evil. That's their point.
0: I, I guess not really.
2: I, I didn't say they were right. I just said that was their point.
1: I mean, clearly anybody who believes in the ethos of communism is a terrible person. You should probably not take them seriously.
2: Yeah, I'm, I would never be friends with anyone like that.
1: Filthy. Many So what's going on with it? We've actually been, you know, it's been in the news. People are talking about protests. And what we're seeing by every real metric is a very small number of people. We're talking about dozens to hundreds, depending are protesting in the streets of cuba as cuba is facing massive shortages which is real uh they are low on food they are low on fuel and they are especially low on covid vaccine um yeah just medical supplies in general yeah yeah they're having trouble getting their hands on fucking anything uh it's almost like there's a there's a there's a hard time getting things into an island
0: yeah like global pandemic you know first of all there's a short supply to begin with and then you have, 08 oh, uh, blockades and embargoes. And... and
2: I should mention, as of Sunday, the number was up to the thousands.
1: OK, which, again, makes sense. You start having things like fuel, food, medical supplies in a pandemic. And I mean, even the, the power's gone out a couple times in a few in a few areas. And so it's like, yeah, yeah that's going to lead to protests, man. When when people can't get bread, they get pissed. Uh, doesn't matter what you know, what level of government you're running. That's a, that's a recipe for disaster.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and they have farming there, but most of their stuff it's niche has farming. to be brought in. Yeah, that, that's what it's I'm tobacco
2: saying. tobacco and like, sugar, right? That's
0: tobacco, yeah. sugar, and fruit. Yeah. It's not like they have you know, massive farms where they grow wheat. Yeah, they're or, an island. <laughs> you know, Everything has got to be either flown in or brought in on a barge. And uh,
1: when you can't do either of those things, guess what? Imagine having, imagine, you know, quadrupling the population of Hawaii and then completely sealing them off from the world and seeing how well that went. Yeah, not, not very good. Um, and th- that is the biggest problem is the U.S. embargo on Cuba. Um, the few imports they do get have to come from us, their enemy, uh, and the EU. And it has to be paid in cash, by the way. Um, when nations trade, they trade in credit. You know, you have X number of dollars or whatever uh, that is being imported, and that is what you owe. And you pay that in sometimes cash, sometimes futures, sometimes precious metals, usually in trade back. You import steel and export fuel. You import fuel and export pineapples. Like it doesn't yeah, fucking and you, matter. You just,
0: you just keep a balance sheet.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm. You keep a bounce. Well, that's not allowed for Cuba. Uh, the United States has threatened with absolute total annihilation. Anyone who does that with Cuba, uh, Cuba has to pay cash for everything on the fucking spot, which no one else in the world has to do. And, and these sanctions are killing people. They are absolutely crippling this island, which has basically relied on tourism from Europe for a long time as one of their major um, cash revenues. I mean, again, they do have sugar uh, farms. They do grow tobacco, um, you know. They do have like companies that do niche cube and things that bring in money, uh, but tourism is their number one source of income. And COVID destroyed that. And with mm-hmm. that, we have chosen to keep a naval blockade of any trade going to the island. Um, and and this has been the whole world thinks this is stupid. This is not a global effort against Cuba uh, like it is with things like Iran, you know, developing nukes. Uh, This is strictly the United States. So last month, that's Israel.
2: Yeah. US and Israel. Only two countries.
1: Same thing. I mean.
2: Fair enough. No, Fair point.
1: You have a child, Matt. You feed him. You put him to school. You changed his diapers. You you, you take care of him. I would say that uh, what he does is partial and partial to you. You know, yeah. And we, we change Israel's diapers and pay for their genocide and completely support their entire economy and military. So no shit they side with us. But it's the same thing. They're, they're just the, the younger brother on the top bunk, kind of like Canada was through most of our wars.
2: Yeah. But you just had to vote on this. And I think, it, like I said, it was just us yeah. and Israel were the only ones that voted to keep the embargo.
1: That's how it always is. In fact, yeah. they've called for an end to the sanctions for 29 years in a row. 140 nations, 184 nations against it, two nations for the embargo, U.S. and Israel. And since 92, the U.N. General Assembly has passed a resolution every single year uh, condemning the impact of the embargo. And they've actually declared it a violation of the U.N. charter and a violation of international law. And we do it anyway. Uh, and, and again, this is this immediately is a dog whistle for right wingers, right? The Republican Party's having oh, a yeah. fucking field day on this uh, mm-hmm. in, on on the 12th. This earlier this week. Marco Rubio, Gusano in chief for America. Uh, he went on Fast News and he basically claimed that Cuba is a drug trafficking terror sponsoring nation. Uh, and he actually he actually stated that the White House should consider military intervention. Oh, yeah the only drugs Cuba ships are the ones their doctors give out when Cuba sends more medical aid and faster than the U S ever does that they were the first ones to send doctors to India while yeah. Biden was sitting there hemming and hawing over whether or not he'd give a fuck. If Indian people were dying in the parking lots of hospitals, Cuba had doctors with boots on the ground, helping people.
2: But more than that, tens of thousands of Cuban doctors, uh, educators and other developmental aid workers have served around the world forever. Um, I think there's something like right now, there's something like 37,000 Cuban doctors and nurses working in 77 different countries. They constantly send medical aid everywhere around the world, everywhere, because they've got top notch healthcare, which is something the right in this country never wants to talk about. Because guess what? It's socialized healthcare and it's fucking fantastic.
1: Cuba yeah, ranks
2: mm-hmm. above uh, the US in, in, in certain respects when it comes to healthcare.
1: Uh, they rank so. above a good chunk of Europe. Yeah. The only thing that actually uh, brings their healthcare down is to not the best in the world is they're fucking poor. Yeah, they literally like when if you go to the hospital in Cuba, your medical care is covered. You'll be taken care of. You're not going to be put in debt for a hospital bill, but your family needs to bring you bed sheets and food yeah. um, because the hospital doesn't have that. They got doctors, they got equipment, they don't literally don't have the care facilities. They have the room. Um, but they lack clean sheets and they lack food and they lack the basically someone needs to come and be your caretaker uh, while you're in the hospital. That's because of us anyway. Uh, well, yeah, it, well, it's it definitely of... because of us. But it's also because Cuba has always been a poor nation. And that's the thing is people love to look at countries like Venezuela and Cuba and say, well, look how poor they are and the standard of living. And it's like it's only gone up since their revolutions. Like these are countries that were already overexploited and dirt. Poor, Which is what made them ripe for revolution. As we said, when you Mm -hmm. can't get your hands on fucking bread, you tend to light a torch. That's why they revolted. But these were poor countries that have been exploited by the West for centuries. Yes, is Cuba too poor to afford these things? Absolutely. But they never could. That was never a thing that hasn't gone downhill. It's only improved.
2: Well, and they also, because they're poor, they prioritize where the money goes. Education. And something else that we should mention, too, is despite being a poor country, even when you factor in its low GDP, uh, the Human Development Index lists Cuba as a high human development category. Um, it excels, in, like I said, just not healthcare and education, but also in women's participation in political inclusion. Yep. Uh, it has eliminated child malnutrition completely. No children sleep on the streets. Um, There is no homeless. And even during the hungry years of economic crisis in the 90s, uh, Cubans didn't starve. Cuba stuck with the planned economy and enabled them to ration their scarce resources. So even despite their their limited uh, economic capabilities, they're making things like this happen, which, by the way, I think that their, if I remember correctly, their infant mortality rate is something like 4.5 births per 1,000. That puts it among the first world countries and above the U.S. And that ranking, by the way, is per CIA's own ranking. So all this from a poor country that's being economically stifled by a big, rich country that constantly demonizes it.
1: Well, yeah. And again, it's been that way since the start. Yeah. Right after the revolution, you know, the, the uh, Castro's Cuban government, this is before, this is right when they were first dancing with Russia. They call and Che Guevara, actually, uh, someone the CIA assassinated um, and then desecrated his corpse just to send a message. Uh, he was actually the one who convinced Castro that education needs to be key, that people need literacy and that people can't be free if they can't read. And so they actually called the first year after it was 1961. And Castro decided it was going to be the year of education. And he literally formed and sent out literacy brigades uh, out into the countryside. And they built schools. Uh, they trained teachers and educators at every level. And they wanted to teach the, uh, the illiterate peasants to read and write, you know, because these people were literally serfdom farming slaves uh, until this. And so by the end of the campaign, which was, by the way, that year, okay, in one year, They had taught, because again, the entire national focus was on that. They literally flooded the countryside with educators. 707,000 adults were taught how to read and write. In one year, they raised the literacy rate from 77 to 96%. And the last time anybody cared to measure uh, internationally, the UN saw that by 2010, the Cuban literacy rate was over 99%. And since their revolution, they have always been number one and maintained the highest literacy rate in all of Latin America.
0: Sounds about right to me.
1: So there's a couple of things here. So while we're looking at this, at this nation that's actually been successful and has an upward curve at all times. Despite. Yeah, we see hundreds of protesters in the street who are pissed that COVID's not being handled correctly, which, I mean, it's a fair protest. And again, for anybody, I'm not trying to be a Cuba fanboy here. Cuba has problems. They are not perfect. Uh, It is run by an authoritarian regime. uh, And you do not have freedom of speech. At all. In Cuba, you cannot print. And you have mostly freedom of speech. You can say most things. It's not like it's completely tied down. What you're not allowed to do is criticize the regime and the government. Yeah, that is, that is the one no-no. You can be whatever religion you want. You can say whatever your beliefs are. It's fine. You just can't criticize the government, which, again, that's not great. That's not freedom. But, I mean, you can't really fucking do that here. I mean, just what last week the Biden administration was announcing they're going to start they're going to start basically going after Facebook for people's posts that, that criticize the uh, the government and the, the vaccine rollout. Essentially, you know, I mean, so at a certain point, it's like we've already discussed how the First Amendment right is pretty much toast in the United States, too. You know, if we're going to look at is Cuba doing massive police crackdowns that are not cool on these protesters? Hundred uh, percent. So does the United States. So I got a couple of quotes here on that and and Biden actually had the balls to say and I got a quote from this is amazing. We stand with the Cuban people and their clarion call for freedom and relief from the tragic grip of the pandemic and the decades of repression and economic suffering to which they have been subjected by Cuba's authoritarian regime. That's a Biden quote. That didn't come from fucking Mitt Romney. That came from a Democrat. That's garbage. So he immediately recognizes the Cuban people's right to protest and how they need freedom. And it's all because, you know, the Castro regime has been terrible as if the U.S. hasn't been actively using the might of the world's only superpower to to crush this happy little island. Right. Even before him, you know, Trump enacts massive sanctions, which we haven't seen since the Cold War. Uh, totally up them to like Kennedy Eisenhower era. And then Biden has done nothing to change them. Obama did. Obama went and actually tried to ease the, the, the sanctions, which is why Trump. He put did. Them I remember in. that. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, Trump killed all that. Trump made them the worst they've been in, in fucking 50 years. And Biden hasn't changed a thing. He's kept them all. We also, while we still run a torture farm at Guantanamo Bay. Um, yeah, no and kidding. then, you know, under Biden, the, the political coordinator for the U S mission in Cuba, Rodney Hunter, Uh, He said that during the vote that sanctions are one set of tools in Washington's broader effort toward Cuba to advance democracy, promote respect for human rights, and help the Cuban people exercise fundamental freedoms. The U.S. recognizes the challenges of the Cuban people. Therefore, the U.S. was a significant supplier of humanitarian goods to the Cuban people and one of Cuba's principal trading partners. We're Cuba's principal trading partner because we have a blockade. I mean, this is straight out of Star Wars Phantom Menace, is exactly what we are doing.
0: And if it comes from anywhere else in the world, it's got to cross an entire fucking ocean.
1: Yeah. And even our allies think this is horseshit. Again, not only the president of Mexico is quoted as saying, the truth is that if one wanted to help Cuba, the first thing that should be done is to suspend the blockade of Cuba, as the majority of countries in the world are asking. That would be a truly humanitarian gesture. No country in the world should be fenced in or blockaded.
2: Well, and that's that's, Mexico, that's just it, yeah, But that's that's an excellent point, and and that's where I reject the conservative line of thinking in this one hundred percent, because you cannot, you don't get to start pointing to socialism as the root cause of all this evil when you have measurably by sanctions alone crippled this country economically, and and as we discussed in previous podcasts. The big motivator behind this has always been this ridiculous fight against communism, because honestly, I think Republicans are smart enough to know that if a communist country succeeds, not just Republicans, I would say conservatives across the board are smart enough to know that if if communism and socialism ever succeed in any way, shape or form, it's going to take hold and more people are going to want to adopt it. And that is what they absolutely 100% don't want conservatives don't want socialism because all of their piggy banks go bye-bye so well and not just conservatives i shouldn't even say conservatives because it's really any any wealthy elite in this country anyone with money does not want to lose that money and anyone with money has the education to know that socialism takes their money away and gives it to the people who need it the most
1: yeah why do you think the democrats are so in favor of all this fucking bullshit?
2: One hundred percent. One hundred percent. That's why you're going
1: to hurt their
0: pocketbooks just as much as anybody else.
2: Exactly. And that is why no single Democrat has come out with the points that we are making now. That is why you're not going to hear Democrats coming. out. I mean, you might hear AOC and Sanders come out with this. You might hear that, but the, the democratic, the democratic line on this, I'm not giving the, I said, maybe like, I'm not even saying they will, but the democratic line on this is going to be no different than the Republican because they don't want to lift the sanctions. Because if we do, Cuba suddenly might just find itself a wealthy nation. And if they're able to do all the things we've listed so far, being a poor nation, imagine What they could do if they had even an ounce of the U.S.'s economic power, even an ounce of it. And I think that's Mm -hmm. what terrifies conservatives. That's what terrifies the wealthy that have bought and paid for the Democrats. And you have to acknowledge it. You can't begin to have a discussion about the negative impacts of socialism on the country until we've completely stopped fucking with it economically,
1: period. Yeah, both parties have the same, they're owned by the same banking masters. This is on purpose. That's why I don't think you're even going to see people like AOC and Bernie Sanders because they're part and parcel to the party, 100%.
0: And especially on issues like these. Unfortunately, they kind of have to if they want, if they expect the support of the party. That's, That's what's going to get them and keep them elected is the support of the party. If you start completely lambasting the party, uh, they will simply pull support and you will no longer
1: be in office. Yeah, look what an alien, Ilian, uh, Ilian Omar, is to the Democratic Party now. Yeah. She had mm-hmm. the balls to point out that, by the way, Israel's an apartheid state and what they're doing is illegal, which is a fact. The UN has verified what Israel's doing is illegal. She wasn't saying anything crazy. She's basically saying the sky is up and water is wet and the Democratic Party's losing their shit over it.
2: Because any criticism of Israel automatically gets you labeled as an anti-Semite. Mm -hmm. especially if you're a brown muslim
1: yeah and this is what it is It's, it's policy that has nothing to do with being good policy this is about still fighting the ideas of socialism and waving our dick around i mean just to show how idiotic this is I got remember in two thousand nine. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce estimated the embargo was costing the U.S. economy one point two billion per year as a result of the legal structures that prevented American exports from entering Cuban markets. That's their line, well, and I'll do you one better. Uh, real quick, the Cuban uh, Policy Foundation, so the CPF again, another United States think tank, has provided more extreme data. It estimates the cost of the embargo at four point eight four billion per year while costing Cuba $685 million a year.
2: Cuba's actually run numbers that they report to the UN and it backed it up. And I think the UN has actually has agreed with them on this calculation that the long-term uh, estimates for how much this embargo has cost the island nation is somewhere around 753.69 billion. For a country whose estimated wealth between 1970 and 2014 was $31.7 billion. Their average GDP between 1970 and 2014 has been calculated at U.S. $31.7 billion. okay? That's their average GDP between those years. So that's roughly, let's see, 20, let's see, that's 30, 44 years, okay? Uh, and Cuba's been, this embargo's been going on for how long, Chris? Since 1960s?
1: Uh, it really depends on where you see it. I mean, 1960 is where you see uh, Eisenhower refusing to export oil. Yeah. Okay. And that's where the first of them started. I mean, it's
2: not the only time the U.S. has been fucking with Cuba, but we're talking about the modern incarnation with the Castro regime. Then 1960, I think, is a good number. So, And this starts at 1970. So, like, add 10 years onto that, and you, the average might increase by a couple percentage points. That's ridiculous. This is a country that could be making hundreds of billions in GDP a year. And we're killing that. So you don't get to sit here and tell me, oh, socialism is evil. Look at socialism when we're costing this country hundreds of billions of dollars in money that could economically that could could actually fix all their economic problems. And if all their economic yep. problems are fixed, nothing that's happening right now would be happening
1: we wouldn't have to strangle them and beat them and rob them and shoot them if they weren't socialists so clearly socialism's the problem
2: right and that's that's what gets me about the lunacy of all this and it's, it's we're, we're coming off as like castro fanboys here and i don't want to i don't want to come off as that chris might it's not that we think castro was some golden god or something like that we don't castro did a lot of fucked up things the authoritarian governments doing a lot of fucked up things
1: but so does the us I would I would need to interject them because I hear that a lot. And I ask what fucked up things. Like I would agree with you about things like freedom of the press. Other than that, like I keep hearing about the evils of Castro and he's pretty much most things that are laid at his feet are things that we've done. So what evil things are, well, those? but
2: that, but that was my point. That was, that was the point I was leading into when I, when I said, but look at what the U S has done.
1: No, no. But I'm saying as Americans, we're trained to have that speech pattern. Like I'm, I know you're not accusing anything. But you're, and you are and I'm not trying to call you out specifically, but you sound you're an American. You're educated in the United States. You are an American citizen, so this is what we always say. And you say like, "Well, I'm not trying to say that Castro is a saint, which again, he's not. He's a hu- he was a human. Yeah. But you said like he's done all, all this fucked up shit, but the U.S. is even worse. And it's like, and that's a true and fair argument. But also, it paints it as Castro's a secondary evil, and I would say that. I, I, I failed to see a lot of times where he was wrong. He wasn't always right. He did some things that I don't agree with, but not many. And I always challenge people like, what are those sins? And no one ever has an answer for me without, without spending an hour on Google.
2: So again, so, well, no, I've got a couple (laughs) of things like, look, I understand the reason behind them and I don't disagree, but it's still evil. Like if you're going to, to basically execute people without a fair trial, which he absolutely did when they took over the country. I understand why he did it. And if, again, if I was in his shoes, I probably would have done it too. Not disagreeing with it. Still an evil move. Uh, You have to do evil things when you have a revolution. Why was it evil? I I think murdering people without a fair trial. Absolutely an evil thing. I think everyone deserves the right to a free trial. Like,
1: yes, but
2: locking people up and putting them away in gulags or the equivalent because they said the government sucks, fucking evil. I'm not saying that's, the, that's all he ever did, because as I've said here, he instituted a lot of great programs that have helped keep Cuba well above water.
1: Yeah, but I mean, at, at that point, I mean, so then were the allies evil when they went and, and killed a bunch of people in Berlin? Because the people he killed were slaveholders and secret police who were rape squads, that's who got shot. He didn't hold up people who was like, ah, this guy's name's Jeff. Let's kill him out of trial. Like the people that were executed were people that the peasants held up as the ones who had been murdering and torturing them. And again, Bautista's secret police forces.
2: Like it's not a debate I'm interested in having. Like I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you. Like you're, like, you're not going to catch me on the flip side of this. I'm not saying you're wrong. I think like the things that are happening here in the U.S. are far and away more evil again we've got police that are brutally murdering citizens in the street because they have a different skin tone you know like
1: you know please i'm not coming after you for this i know you're not i just think it's a really important distinction to make in general and i'll be the first to admit he wasn't perfect and he did do some stuff i thought was a little over the top especially with um going after you know political prisoners after the fact like Mm -hmm. I, i i agree with you that actually is an evil move but i mean if that's the worst we got on someone He's better than most world leaders in well, the world right? in history. It's, it's,
2: a, it's an important point to, point to rise because uh, anyone listening to this that doesn't agree with us, and I'm sure there's a few out there because I, I've seen sure an increase lots. in the dislikes that, that have been happening. Like, Well, people that listen to us that disagree with us. I know, I know they exist. But the number one thing they're going to come back with was, you're right, how evil Castro was and how can you support such an authoritarian regime? And the answer to that is, how can you support the U.S. and all the evil things it does? You're absolutely right. That is the question that we need to ask. Because we live in this country, and I think you're right, the American line is to just assume that even though we've done bad things, everyone else is so much worse. That's why we have to do bad things to protect everyone else, which is horseshit. I mean, it's the line they feed us in school when they make us stand and recite the Pledge of Allegiance, you know, and do shit like that. But
1: Under God.
2: You know, it's as much indoctrination as anything. And so I agree with you that it's an important distinction to make and we have to, I would even put it out there if anybody that disagrees with us, if there was one episode that I want to hear some feedback from people that disagree with us, I'm going to say it's this one because I really want to hear what you all think that has been done in Cuba that is more evil or even just as evil as what has been done by the U S to indigenous peoples, to the black black community, to minorities in general, to, to LGBT and trans people. Like you can say other countries are evil all you want. I, I want you to show me how they're more evil than what happens here in our country.
1: Yeah. Well, while well, well Castro was holding political prisoners So were we, this is during the McCarthy era.
2: We still are. There's people that haven't left Guantanamo Bay since they made arrests for 9-11.
1: There is a massive political prison in Cuba. We run it. Yeah. Yeah. And so then again, I wasn't trying to come after you in that, but I just, I think it's an important distinction to always make is that, yes, I don't like everything he did. I fail to find other nations that have a better track record. Like, well, that doesn't happen in Europe. It's like, have you seen the, the the reign of terror in France after the revolution? Are you kidding me? Like, well, you're right. It's, it's what's our basis for comparison. You're absolutely
2: right. What is the basis for comparison? If you're going to hold up the US as the gold standard of how all countries should act when it comes to political prisoners, to its people, I'm sorry, you're going to find yourself disappointed. We're one of the most murderous countries there
1: is. And again, not even just us. I'm talking about par for the course. Like anybody who wants to email us on this one, I am super down. We will read your shit on the air. Like you will not be silenced. We would love your feedback on this. Because if you've got a laundry list of shit that went bad that you don't agree with, I would like you to tell me, list me five nations. Again, hundreds of thousands of nations have existed in the history of the world. Name me five that are better and haven't committed these or worse crimes and, uh, and we'll pass that through the history filter, and we'll see how that goes for you. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I'm saying is it's it's, it's better than par at all times, no matter what nation, regardless. Because the United States is probably one of the worst. Not Maybe not the worst. There are nations that do have worse track records than ours. You know, British, the Dutch, the Chinese are getting there. Yeah. <laughs> but we have one of the worst. But even if you don't want to go by us, again, I mean, Denmark, Finland, I mean, name it. You know, the Congo? I mean, name a fucking nation, and I will show you where they have carried out far worse atrocities than Castro ever did. Uh, The Principality of Sealand. Uh, Actually, the Principality of Sealand at one point in time was completely occupied by pirates. So, no. It was a pirate nation entirely, 100%. Cool story on that one. Guy went back with a helicopter and fought off pirates to take the country back. Fun story. Anyone? Wikipedia Sealand. It's fucking nuts. Isn't it? cool. Yeah. One day, you can actually pay to become like a knight of Sealand or like even better. You can be like an earl.
0: It's it's an earl or a duchess. Yeah,
1: I totally want to be an earl of Sealand one day. And I actually want to visit. Like when I do get my ass to the UK, I'm going to Sealand. 100% nice. As an earl. And (laughs) I I will wear a fancy coat.
2: We digress. So back, yeah, back to Cuba. So just bullet point this out. So what's happening right now? As of Sunday, there's been thousands of protesters uh, against President Miguel diaz Canal, asking him to step down amid a lack of publicly available coronavirus vaccines, uh, medicine, food shortages, and shrinking economy that's been exacerbated by the pandemic. We covered that. In response, the president's been blaming U.S. sanctions, which, as we've discussed, he's kind of right about, and tightening during President Donald Trump's time and basically calling it economic excruciation. President Joe Biden... As you've heard from Chris, declined to say if he would consider lifting the decades-old sanctions. Probably not, because as we've said multiple times, effectively, when it comes to policy, not much different than a Republican. He is a Republican. The US, although, is facing calls to end sanctions, and that that movement is growing, I'm happy to see here. Don't know if it's going to bear fruit, but I like to see that there's more and more uh, people coming out of the woodwork to support this. Ending sanctions, by the way, as we've mentioned, overwhelmingly popular. And the protests in Cuba are spurred, uh have spurred similar demonstrations nationwide, including Miami's Little Havana, from you know, the conservative elites that left Cuba a long time ago and then put down roots here in Miami, Florida, and then all are all like, you know, Republicans that think, you know, Cuba's evil. That's basically the bullet points of what got us to this point. Or, or what's happening right now.
1: Yep. And and when you're hearing accounts on the news from a bunch of these Pinche Gusanos, which uh for you non-comrades, uh, our Cuban Revolution exiles and their worthless garbage descendants who all live in Florida. Rubio! Um, oh, yeah. <coughs> yeah, excuse me. So use that word by the way. There's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of Cuban apologist pieces of shit who like being like, oh Gusano is an ethnic slur. No, no, because it doesn't refer to Cubans. Cubans are not gusanos, which by the way, Gusano translates to worm. Gusano means a traitor of the Cuban Revolution, and These people who are exiles, by the way, the people who were kicked out, um, you'll hear them talk all the time like, oh, my family fled communism and Castro took our homes. Like, remember, the only people who this happened to were wealthy plantation owners. These were not peasants. These were not shopkeepers. These were not police. These were not firefighters. These weren't telephone operators. They were plantationers. They're no different than antebellum slave masters in the South.
2: Think of the rich people. Won't somebody please think of the rich yeah.
1: people? <laughs> like Literally, w- watch Django and, and and look at Monsieur Candy. That's who was kicked out. Like, oh, Castro took everything, even my slaves. That's what happens. I, mean, I got to tell you, Castro was kinder than I would have been uh, by letting him leave because I-, I think they should have been fucking publicly hung.
2: And that's a good point because they they went before they left, they fucking emptied out Cuban's bank. That's another point we didn't I didn't get to bring up. Part of the reason Cuba started off on a bad foot is because all the rich people that left fucking took the money with them. They withdrew yeah. all their bank accounts and and the elected officials withdrew money from the country's own bank accounts from the yeah. treasury.
1: Bautista had fleeced Cuba as well. And yeah, you know, they took all the money, put them in American banks. And of course, as we'll see in in when we talk about the the timeline history of Cuba. Um, the U.S. froze all their American assets. I mean, it's it's, it's, been, uh, it's been a train job, is what has happened to Cuba.
2: I think it's time for Chris's History Corner.
1: Uh, I challenge uh, Matt, um, anyone who's listening, what do you want Matt to do? Matt's going to record it because we already have Kay's voice at the beginning of the podcast, and uh, I never shut up throughout it. So Matt is the one who's going to record a jingle for Chris's History Corner. And <laughs> I want all of you to tell him, to put input. Matt, put a poll on Twitter or put a put an ask on Twitter and uh, and get people to put in there and whoever has the best answer wins. So anyone who's listening, especially our North Carolina peeps and our California peeps pipe in there. So but yeah, let's talk about how we got here. Right. So, you know, Cuba was obviously like everywhere in the West had had indigenous people, which, you know, migrated here over the millennia um, until the Spanish invaded and occupied it. And that was in the 1400s. Um, You know, Spain obviously comes into Cuba uh, from Cuba's, where you get like people like Cortez going into Mexico. It's, it, that's where Spain launched their massive uh, plantation invasion of Latin America. And the Spanish owned it. Uh, they had full control over Cuba. It was literally just a, uh, a nice sugar plantation for them. Nice for them, not for the Cubans. Until the Spanish-American War in 1898, when the U.S. invaded and seized control. Uh, in 1902, they became a U.S. protectorate, uh, and which means we still own them. Uh, basically what Hawaii was before we let them be a state. And they, much like Iran before the revolution, uh, they ran a corrupt, American-friendly, massively uh, corrupt government that also utilized slavery and propped up feudal lords. Uh, this is the happy Cuba they want us to return to. Remember that. Presidents of Cuba, not the United States, they were their own form of bastard. The presidents of Cuba would constantly run on anti-corruption it became, you know, the 20th century uh, it became a big thing of, like, was so corrupt, and everyone fucking knew it. Like, literally, there was a couple of them. That, there was one president, I forgot which one it was. He ended up walking away, pocketing a quarter of the country's GDP.
0: How, how does that even happen? Corruption. How does a quarter of the entire country's GDP end up in your personal bank account?
1: What's the personal wealth of Jeff Bezos? Yep. And how much taxes does he pay? How does that happen? Well, you grease how meals. much
0: taxes he yeah
1: that is how Jeff Bezos does it is he pays the right people off and he hires. everything. Well, same thing. But now imagine that the U.S. government is even more for sale than it is now, you know, and, and that's how they did it. And so what would happen is people would get sick of it. People would get pissed of it. The president would be like, well, I'm leaving office because I'm unpopular. And he'd walk away with, you know, giant bags with dollar signs on them. And then the next guy would be like, well, I'm running on anti-corruption. I'm going to his office because I'm a Boy Scout. And then he would go in and steal all the money. And that was, it was this constant thing back all the time. This, this cycle of corruption happened for quite a while. If you were to visualize this, it's like Mr. Smith from Mr. Smith goes to Washington running for office. And then mm-hmm. he walks out looking like Jeff Bezos at the end of it. That's what would happen every election cycle. They propped up plantation slavery and they lived in mansions in absolute luxury from selling out their nation's resources to U.S. fruit and sugar companies. Uh, while their people starved in squalor, illiterate people in Cuba, dying of yellow fever and malnutrition on owned land as people without any political economic agency whatsoever. That was the situation in Cuba. Mm-hmm. And then in 1952, um, they stopped even pretending. Uh, so this guy named Batista, right? Uh, he goes to run for an election. And he actually, at one point, flees to America, flees to Cuba. He's got huge U.S. backing because he's like, I'll do anything you say. I will I will tickle the scrotum of Uncle Sam and do whatever they want. And so the U.S. helps him out quite a bit. And he's going for election, but he's totally going to lose. He's projected to absolutely lose election because he's unlikable. No one likes him. And so the U.S. gave him a bunch of guns and money and enough money to bribe the military. And he did a military coup and took over Cuba. Now, who's surprised the U.S. did this, right? <laughs> So again, we have another, the United States propping up a public government. That's what we do. And Batista was bad. Uh, He he ruled with a a, a fucking brutal iron fist, dude. Um, You know, one of the first, he suspended the 1940 constitution entirely. Uh, And this guy like literally Trump sits up at night jerking off to this guy's, this guy's biography. Uh, He he completely suspended the 40 constitution and he revoked almost all political liberties of all citizens, uh, including the right to strike. You weren't, if you were caught trying to strike against unlivable working conditions, you'd be killed. People talk about the brutality of Castro in Cuba. You can strike. I mean, that's encouraged. You have unions in Cuba. They are pro-fucking-worker. And then after he did that, it was Latifunda, basically. The same thing Mexico went through, where you had these massive uh, uh, landowners, right? And he aligned these guys uh, with the largest sugar plantations. And then had a stagnating economy that widened the gap of rich and poor even worse, uh, until it really was looking like feudal Europe. It it pretty much was feudal Europe in in Cuba at this time. And then in 1959, uh, and Castro came along and and fucked him up. They, They led the July 26th movement, which is what it's mostly called. And it was it it took some time. Like there was a lot of battles. We're not going to go into all that. Like you can literally read a Cuban history book and you can read entire books on how this revolution went down because it was not a single day or a single battle. It was kind of like the American Revolution. It was city by city by area by area. It was a whole bunch of um, stuff. But eventually the people won out. That's who they wanted. And Castro and Shea shoved him into exile and he was gone. Um, And even though the United States initially supported Batista with arms and money, they weren't actually really cold to Shea and Castro when he lost because they weren't communists. They were socialist leaning, but they were mostly just pro Cuba, anti Batista. Like they were just like they were just anti bastard and didn't like feudalism. Uh, They actually had a lot in common politically with most liberal Americans, they weren't anti-capital and they weren't, they weren't diehard comics. Shea was, um, but Castro wasn't. The thing is, is they were, the U S initially kind of didn't do anything right that second because Batista had become uncontrollable. He wasn't doing anything. The U S told him to, he was totally, you know, again, think Trump. He was literally Cuban Trump. Uh, He was just in it for himself, didn't toe the line. And so the U.S. wasn't crying. The CIA wasn't sad when he was gone. But then Castro lifted the ban immediately because Batista banned the Communist Party. You weren't allowed to be communist. You could only vote for Batista. And so Castro immediately just went, no, all parties are legal. You know, the, the Communist Party can be legal, too. And Shea was super pumped about that one. And then again, this is what we were, you know, we were talking about executing. He he absolutely executed the worst of Bautista's agents, uh, all his assassins, his secret police. Uh, a lot of these guys had CIA ties, which pissed us off. And that's when the U.S. cooled on Cuba, like super quick. Something to note here again, showing what Cuba was as a people. Much like most socialist revolutions, Castro's had a heavy women involvement. Matt was talking about women's involvement in politics in Cuba. They were really involved in the war, too. Not just I'm not just talking about, like, they brought food and medicine. Like, no, women served with rifles, front line, alongside the men in the combat. There, there was even an all-woman's platoon. Um, I forgot the name of it. It's, it served with distinction and actually became the personal security detail later to Castro. He trusted them so much. And the second in command of it, her name's Tete Puebla, Oh, yeah, it was the it was the Mariana Grajales pl- platoon. Um, and her quote is women in Cuba have always been on the front line of the struggle. And again, this isn't from a male historian. This is from the second in command, a woman in the platoon. This is what she said many years later. I uh, said women in Cuba have always been on the front line of the struggle. At Makata, we had I'm going to butcher these names, guys. Uh, Yeye Maria and Melba Hernandez with the Grana Yati. And on November 30th, we had Celia, Vilma and many other companies. There were many women comrades who were tortured and murdered from the beginning. There are women in the revolutionary armed forces. First, they were simple soldiers, later sergeants. Those of us in the Mariana Grajales platoon were the first officers. The ones who ended the war with officers ranks stayed in the armed forces. Hmm. Women in Cuba were there from day one fighting and they have ever since that's never ended. Um, And they still have a prominent uh, role in, in government, far better than the United States. They actually have a far better track record, of women in government than the U.S. ever has. So anyway, then after the Cuban government nationalizes the plantations, um, which is another big one, because a lot of these plantations were owned or at least heavily invested in by U.S. rich people and U.S. companies. Basically, Castro was like, yeah, feudalism sucks, and that land belongs to Cuba. So he stole their land, kicked them off of it, and gave it to the peasantry to farm. And this again really pissed off the U.S. And this is again this is where you get these gusanos. This is where you get these these pieces of shit who come to the who landed in Miami crying that 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 Castro stole all their slaves and gold bars. So the U.S. gets pissed, and then 1960 is where we lay the first sanctions, and we free and and uh, Eisenhower freezed all assets owned by Cuba. So anything that the nation of Cuba owned that was on U.S. soil or owned by a U.S. bank or owned by a country friendly to the U.S. or owned by a company on the U.S. even if it was on Cuban soil, if it was U.S. related, Eisenhower seized and froze their assets. And so what are they going to do? This is where Castro was forced to sign a commercial agreement with the Soviet Union. They needed trade and they needed credit because, again, the money has gone The crops are here. We're going to harvest them. But what are you going to do right now? Because you need fucking penicillin and oil, which they don't have. So they sign a a commercial agreement. The Soviet Union starts shipping them supplies saying, yeah, pay us back later. That's fine. We'll loan it to you. Since the Soviet Union fell, we've actually had a lot of really cool documents uh, come to light that we don't have from the Cold War on the US side. And a lot of KGB and Soviet political documents have come out. And one of the coolest things we've actually found out is most people saw it as You know, Castro takes over and immediately the Soviet Union jumps in and tries to snag Cuba. They actually had no interest. The Soviet Union thought Cuba was reckless. Uh, They didn't think they had any part of it. Because remember, the Soviet Union this time is about workers, industrial workers. They are not really about a tiny island farming nation. They're about steel mills. And when they talk about farms, yeah, they want giant state farms of 10,000 acres of potatoes. That's what the Soviet Union's interested in, gigantic collectivization. And that was in Cuba. Cuba was small communes, you know. Ironically, it was actually the U.S. meddling that got the Soviet Union involved in Latin America at all. That's why we have American death squads in South America. Uh, The Soviet Union saw that the U.S. was completely forcing this communist government out just for being, calling themselves communists. And so they were like, well, now we have to help them. And so the Soviet Union went in to help and it kicked off this whole thing. But had we just left them the fuck alone? There would not have been this strife in South America or Latin America at all. It was, again, another instance of the US's meddling that caused this. Uh, so, anyway, in 1960 now, this is right after the revolution. So, June 1960, we got a key incident. That Eisenhower's government refuses to export oil to Island to, to, to Cuba at all, right? And this is where now Cuba's completely reliant on the Soviet Union for oil. And the American companies in Cuba refuse to refine the oil. Even when they get crude from the Soviet Union, uh, American, the oil companies, and in, in this you, you actually see this a lot today still, by the way, um, you especially see it with companies like Chevron and Exxon. American companies go into poor countries, especially in like Southeast China and uh, India and Africa, especially, my God, what we've done to Africa, is they go into these oil areas and they say, don't worry, you don't know how to do this. That's fine. We will help you. We'll set up oil drills. We'll show you how to refine shit. Like we will run this for you. And literally, you don't have to do a thing. You just sit back, let us take your oil, and we're gonna write you checks. And of course, they're getting totally fucked on the deal. They're getting they're not getting nearly what their their oil's worth, but that's that's the rub, right? And the US companies in Cuba wouldn't even do that. They're like, no, fuck your oil. We're not refining it, eat a dick. Again, it was just there's so many times where this could have gone so differently. And it was literally just American companies refusing to play ball with Cuba just to be assholes. So, anyway, so what do you do? Like, pop quiz, guys. You are the the leader of Cuba and you are getting uh, oil from Russia, and there's oil refineries right there in your country, and they won't refine it. You got a pile of oil, a bunch of people who are going to die if that oil doesn't get refined, and a refinery right there.
0: Take the refinery. Yeah, you, you take over the refinery and you
1: refine your oil. Yep. So Castro and the Cuban government nationalized all three American oil refineries. Uh, they were not compensated. They were told to go fuck themselves for doing this. Um, and their property was taken and the refineries became part of the state-run company. It was actually... Uh, was good uh, to me. Yeah, Union Cuba Petróleo, <laughs> which is, you know, United Cuban Oil. And so Eisenhower, of course, gets a real sad boner about it. And he's the one who launched the very first trade embargo. We were talking earlier about Eisenhower in the first one. Um, that was a prohibition of against selling all products to Cuba with the exception of food and medicine. In late 1960, October, the Cuban regime responds with the nationalization of all American businesses. Like, so Matt's fucking sprocket factory. And Eisenhower's like, nope, you don't get stuff ever again. So Cuba's like, all right, fine. I guess we own Matt's sprocket factory now. Because what other choice did they fucking have?
0: Well, and whoever was there living there and, and running these businesses, you walk in and you go, you don't work here anymore. Thanks.
1: Yeah, and there's a guy with an AK saying, <laughs> um, there's the door. Uh, no yeah. Americas anymore. Well, because you guys decided to be dicks. So they got kicked out. Their diplomats got kicked out. Uh, and yeah, Cuba nationalizes all American interests, which they fucking should have. So anyway, now, now shit's getting real, right? <laughs> So in 1960, that same year, that's when Eisenhower gives his approval for the CIA to grab a whole bunch of these fucking worms and train them to be fighters, right? So all these Cuban exiles who were pissed off about Castro, we're going to train them how to fight, we're going to give them guns, we're going to give them CIA training. Sound familiar? This is how the fucking Taliban was born. Uh, We did the same thing with Cuba, right? Right. Um, so we're training a bunch of Cuban refugees to overthrow the Castro government. And this is what's, this is the Bay of Pigs invasion that we're talking about, which as spoiler alert, doesn't go so well. So April 14th, 1961, a year later, and this is now Kennedy's term, Eisenhower's gone, right? Uh, no, no, real quick, fun historical side note. This is where, this is actually the fun part of Kennedy's administration after the Bay of Pigs goes so bad. Uh, This is when he stopped listening to the CIA and the Joint Chiefs of Staff. He was so pissed. They're like, no, this bad pig's going to be great. We're going to land a bunch of dudes. Shit's going to go great. You're going to be a big fucking hero. Marilyn Monroe's going to sit on your dick. Everything's going to be awesome. And he was like, oh, that sounds pretty cool. All right. And then everything went fucking tits up. And he looked like the world's biggest asshole. And they were like, okay, you need to nuke Cuba now. And he was like, nope. Uh, And he basically told the Joint Chiefs to fuck themselves. And Kennedy and the Joint Chiefs of Staff of the Pentagon were and the CIA uh, Kennedy was completely an enemy of the CIA.
2: Actually, this is where a lot of conspiracy, conspiracy theory nuts about Kennedy's assassination start start harping on stuff about here because this is about the point where Kennedy starts to soften on Soviet Union. He actually starts engaging the Soviet mm-hmm. Union in talks. Uh, now, it's all it's all on the back end, right? It's through back channels and things like that. Because oh, yeah, absolutely. He's the president of the United fucking States. He can't just go on national TV and say, hey, I'm going to go meet with the fucking leader of Russia.
1: Oh, no, don't, don't you worry. We're going to talk about the pork chop that saved the world, 100%. <laughs> but yeah, you're absolutely right. He, he softens a bit because he realizes this goes nowhere. This is no good. And the Joint Chiefs of Staff were at this point saying, not only do you need to take over Cuba, but if the Russians make a single move, you need to nuke Moscow. The, the CIA and the Joint Chiefs were absolutely attempting to start World War III. Kennedy telling them to go fuck themselves is literally why the world didn't end Dr. Strangelove style and, and look like the fuck game fallout. It is because Kennedy told him to go fuck themselves, and then he was mysteriously shot. So, I don't know. I mean, pissing off the CIA never goes wrong for anyone.
0: It was a very angry man with a rifle. It,
1: it was. It was a very angry man with a rifle who was then shot by uh, a mobster with cancer who didn't say why. Um. So, anyway. <laughs> not suspect at all. Anybody who's not into this, uh, look up Jack Ruby. Basically, the guy who shot Kennedy. Uh, Before he could give an interrogation or talk to the media or be held for trial, as he was brought, as Lee Harvey Oswald was brought out, a guy named Jack Ruby, who was a known mafia hitman, walks up, says "fuck you," and puts a revolver into his belly and empties it, killing him for no reason. And then he goes to prison. He's like, "Oh, I'm I'm just a patriot, and he shot the president." And I was like, "You're you're a fucking monster, what?" And then he got cancer and died in prison, kept his fucking mouth shut, you know, because he knew that he'd get Jack Ruby if he didn't. Um... So, we could put on <laughs> tinfoil hats or not. I'm not saying who shot Kennedy or why. That could I'm be a podcast no matter, unto
2: itself, really. Like, we were no discussing
1: what, facts. Yeah, yeah, no matter what you believe, it's fishy <laughs> as fuck. Yeah. And again, if he hadn't have just pissed off the CIA, I probably wouldn't put any stock into it. But, dude, anyway, the CIA has done way worse to way less important people. So anyway, so what the Bay of Pigs itself is the U.S. basically sent fourteen hundred Cuban exiles to the Bay of Pigs, and it failed. Honestly, hilariously,
2: yeah, it's like they were fucking slaughtered.
1: Yeah, so the plan—the plan was this is this is what this is what the CIA drew up on the board, right? So the plans that they were going to land, start fighting, and when the people saw what was happening, they were going to rise up. You know, like Bush said, greet them as liberators. And then the military would, of course, join them because the military wants to be free of Castro's regime. And and in reality, the soldiers liked Castro. They fought with him and he treated them well. And and the people were super pumped not to be living under feudalism anymore. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so these exile fighters landed. They were slaughtered on the beach alone and everyone in Cuba basically cheered their demise. Um, And it was very public that they were totally run by the CIA and that they were just cut to fucking. They didn't leave the beach they land on the beach and charge into the city, and those soldiers are waiting for them. And they're like, oh, you fucking guys are back. And just, like, imagine, like, the just Kardashians. mowed them down with machine guns. Yeah, again, imagine socialism takes the U.S. and the fucking Kardashians get exiled. And then they all fucking land on Malibu Beach to come take back America. And everyone's like, fucking no, and shoots them. Like, that's what happened. And so after the Bay of Pigs, uh, the Cuban government is is now done with this bullshit, Right. Uh, They now declared that they were going to consider itself Marxist and socialist. They were going to go completely against the U.S. And they aligned themselves officially with the Soviet Union Um, in late. So now we're on September of 1961, Um, you know, good, what, six months after the Bay of Pigs, something like that. Mostly in response, Congress passed the Foreign Assistance Act. Uh, It's a Cold War Act, among a lot of other fucking measures we did, uh, which prohibited aid to Cuba and authorized the president to impose a complete trade embargo against Cuba. Now, this obviously pissed off capitalists, and in 1962, Cuba was suspended from the Organization of American States, the OAS, uh, and later the same year, the OAS started to impose the exact same sanctions against Cuba uh, in the same nature the U.S. sanctions did. So they're getting literally everyone who's not uh, associated with the Kremlin is now embargoing Cuba. And now, to make matters worse, at this point, the CIA begins their massive assassination campaign against Castro. Uh, by sending literal waves of assassins after him. I mean, it was, again, this is out of a fucking comic book. Like, it was just, it was like every day there was a new assassin with a frying pan trying to kill fucking Castro. I and mean, they had they had dudes <laughs> trying to poison his food, dudes trying to shoot him, and they had people using animals. Like, the CIA, had, you can this you can tell this is where they started experimenting with LSD, because the CIA had the most, you can look this shit up, the most weird fucking plans to kill Castro. And, you know, spoiler alert, they all failed. Uh, And they failed so bad because everyone liked Castro. Uh, He actually started taunting the CIA um, by pointing out that he was never wearing bulletproof vests and walking around opening up his shirt. And he would just walk through Havana with his shirt open just to taunt the CIA to prove that it's like, come and get me, bitches. (laughs) Good luck,
0: (laughs) motherfucker.
1: Um, But giant brass Castro balls aside... Uh, it, it, it was clear the U.S. was going to stop at nothing at this point, right? Like, we've got assassins going, we've got failed invasions. Like, the U.S. has got this, this murder boner for Cuba, and it's not stopping. And so we know this now. They're going to try to take control of Cuba. So Castro's not an idiot, and he completely militarily and everything just— we're now, now we're not even just trading partners, now we're not politically— we are 100% fucking Warsaw. Uh, Castro sides completely with the Soviet Union, and this is where we kick off the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, which everyone's heard of. Um, for those of you who aren't aware of it, well, the elevator pitch is basically in in very late sixty two. is October. We almost sparked World War Three. Uh, by nineteen sixty three, uh, Cuba was moving towards a full fledged communist system, modeled on the USSR. The socialist and communist parties kept winning elections, and Castro was like, "Yeah, dope. Sounds awesome." And Russia at this point, who is now allied with Cuba, is very upset at us because Kennedy has just put uh, Jupiter missiles in Turkey, which are nuke missiles right off of Russia's border. So without pulling up a map, you can fucking throw a rock from Russia and hit Turkey like they are (laughs) right next door and Turkey is a... A tentative ally of the US. I mean, they've technically been more on our side than Russia, but Turkey's never been a huge part of our anyway. That's a whole other podcast. So,
2: basically we just we essentially just fucking it, it, it's like showing up to Russia's door with a fucking like we knock it's like going to your neighbor's door with an AK-47 in your hand yeah. saying, "I'm just here to make sure everyone outside is safe."
1: imagine having a feud with your neighbor across the street and then you ally yourself with his neighbor and start setting up a mortar launcher in his neighbor's backyard that's what we did to russia and so russia decided that turnabout's fair play and cuba wants protection because they know the u.s is going to launch another invasion so they need to fail safe so russia begins building nuke silos in cuba right off the coast of florida so now we've got mutually assured destruction, right? Because nothing, there is no early warning system. If you launch a nuke from Cuba to Florida, you've got just enough time to say a Hail Mary before you're fried. Um, there is no stopping that. Everyone's dead. Um, and so this is what leads to the famous Cuban Missile Crisis. And what do we do at this point, right? So the U.S. calls dibs on the world's water and decides to blockade a sovereign nation. We send the entire fucking Atlantic fleet to blockade Cuba and stop any Russian ships from finishing loading nukes into Cuba, and we came really close to annihilation. Uh, luckily, uh, there was an American, uh, a professor named Charles Xavier. Uh, he showed up, he deflected all the <laughs> missiles, uh, saved the planet from nuclear annihilation. There's a documentary called uh, uh, Ex- wait, "Excuse Me, that, 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 Fact Change." That, that, it's, it's, that. it's
2: actually uh, Magneto that deflected the missiles. Uh, Xavier yeah. was uh, sitting there on the beach with a bullet wound.
1: Yes, but um, Magneto wasn't an American. Xavier was. So as an American podcast, we are going to tell that version of history.
0: Sounds good. Got it. All All right.
1: Alternative facts. Um, it. But seriously, the day was basically saved by the Soviet Union backing down. And again, this is where you see Kennedy really soften on the USSR because Kennedy and you know the US and Russia, were ba- the White House and the Kremlin were both shitting bricks. Uh, So just as we've got hardliners on the American side and Kennedy can't go soft on Russia without the Pentagon, the CIA shooting him in the head, uh, neither can Khrushchev. You know, the premier of the Soviet Union is just as much at the whim of lots of dudes with guns as the Soviets are. And so that goes really bad. The Soviets back down to not kill the world. Khrushchev actually loses a huge amount of luck. That's actually why he was eventually ousted. Um, which is insane. He was literally kicked out of power later because he didn't end the world. And what really happened, though, is this was done after a secret... Again, this is because of Soviet documents many years later and and interviews that we know there was a secret meeting at the Occidental restaurant in D.C. This is where we're talking. This is what's known as the pork chop that saved the world. Uh, The Russian... Uh, Like the second and not the first, but the second Russian ambassador meets with an American reporter who then talks to the White House, um, who I believe was talking actually to um, uh, Kennedy's brother, uh, uh, Bobby Kennedy. Uh, I believe Bobby Kennedy was the run running point with the reporter. So it's like we've got JFK talking to his brother who's talking to a reporter who's going undercover for them to go to a restaurant and eat a pork chop and a piece of chicken with a Russian junior diplomat. (laughs) To organize the Kremlin and White House not blowing up the world. That's how this fucking shit went down back then. And the agreement they came to is basically the Russians were going to pull the missiles out of Cuba under UN observation if the U.S. publicly promised not to invade Cuba. Because that was the only way. They had to get the president on fucking TV promising the U.S. will not invade Cuba. And then what we didn't know about until not that long ago, actually, uh, was that Kennedy agreed to pull the Jupiter missiles out of Turkey as well. Uh, But no one knew that until way later. But that was actually the other, the public part of the deal was they pull out and we promised not to invade Cuba. And also they made us pull our missiles out of Turkey. And so th- it's been that way ever since. Uh, that is where the standoff ended. The U.S. promised not to invade Cuba. And we have kept a stranglehold blockade around the country ever since for no good fucking reason. Hostilities were ended how the Cold War ended. And still we are starving this nation. Because they refuse to submit to us is all it comes down to. And so because of that, a pandemic hits, tourism money dries up. They don't have access to the same amount of vaccines. We sure as fuck aren't going to give them to them. And people are pissed. Money's gone. Food's getting short. Vaccine uh, uh, supplies and, sorry, vaccines and medical supplies are all fucking coming up short. Because they're an island nation that's been completely cut off from the world. And people are getting pissed. And the United States is using this as a, see, people just want to yearn to breathe free. And this is the bullshit wool that's being pulled over our eyes right now.
0: Well, and that idea of spreading democracy around the fucking
1: world is such a crock of shit. The United States is like a really shitty drug dealer when it comes to democracy. We're like, hey, hey, we're not a user. We're just
0: a pusher. Every time anything happens, we have to spread democracy.
2: No, we fucking don't. It's not our job to police the fucking world and tell everyone how to live their goddamn lives. If they don't present an existential threat to us as a country, I don't want to be involved with their fucking with their politics. Like simple as that, man.
1: Yeah. Again, I know that I am a history guy. I've got a history degree. History is my joy. and I know most people roll their eyes at it. This is why it's fucking important is because when your politicians are telling you this is an evil nation that we need to do something about, these people are being oppressed, you need to know who they're being oppressed by and in what way. And it's us. And we need to know that and vote that and talk about it. And, and we can't just let this go because, again, this is another Afghanistan. We're just going to fucking invade Cuba now or are we just going to starve them out until they're all dead? Um, how, how long is the U.S. past the Cold War going to keep fighting for Soviet regime change? It, it's garbage. It's ridiculous. The Cuban people don't want us. They don't want our fucking bullshit democracy that doesn't exist. They want to be left alone and they want to be treated as a normal nation and be able to trade with who they want. And they deserve to follow their own destiny. Everyone does. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, thanks for sticking with us on that. I know that was a long history tangent again, but it's important to know what happened and see why we got here because it really is trash. And if we want anything to change, we have to call it out as trash. So uh, when these, these pieces of shit, gusanos come on here and tell you, they're like, Oh, my slaves are gone. You you can point exactly what the fuck they're talking about. You know, when, when, when Castro stole everything from your family, what did they steal? How big was that fucking house? Was it part of the plantations? What I thought? No, my grandpappy was just a wool farmer. And then he was fine. (laughs) <laughs> just
0: a wolf farmer.
1: And he was probably fucking, fucking picking up a rifle when the Bay of Pigs invasion happened because he was doing a way better job after Castro came along. But speaking of men with great beards, let's play my favorite game. What's in Matt's sack?
2: <laughs> Nothing but love for you, Chris. Nothing but love for you. So we got two for you this week. So, okay. So we've, we've talked about the persecution fetish of the right Quite a bit,
1: right? Oh, they love it. They yeah. love it. They want to be a victim so fucking bad. They're so sad about it.
2: So one of the clips when, it, when I was when I had the time to actually cut clips um, was actually us talking about that. And so a user named KJ commented on it. Didn't realize this, but he linked us to it. There's an entire Reddit subreddit dedicated to nothing but the persecution fetish of the right. Literally called r slash persecution fetish.
1: Oh shit! I'm looking this up right now. Yeah, I'm that subreddit. So, that sounds amazing. Wow, this is from user KJ. It's persecution fetish.
2: Uh, yes, I believe so. It kind of got cut off, uh, which leads me to something else I wanted to mention during this. If you have been leaving us comments on YouTube, I have only just come to understand that all the the silencing and 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 horrible stuff that people have been accusing social media companies of platforms of doing, apparently YouTube is the leader in this. We have, I found out recently we've gotten several comments. Now, two of them I was able to catch, but we've gotten way more than that. Where I guess YouTube just removed them. And this was one of them. So I wasn't able to actually see the comment. The only way I knew it was there is because when I went into my normal YouTube to like look up videos, not our actual management of our account on YouTube, but just the normal YouTube profile.
1: Can I just say on this, on this comment you just got here, yeah. I, I, as we were talking, I looked up persecution fetish that uh-huh. our, our user told us to uh, in the first 10 seconds. First of all, it's fucking gold. <laughs> uh, it is it is absolutely delicious nuggets about the right wanting persecution. So honestly, check out persecution fetish on Reddit. It's fantastic. Their tagline is it's more than a compl- it's more than a complex. Conservatives need everyone to know their bottoms, screeching to be persecuted. So much for the tolerant left. Help them satisfy their fetish by persecuting them here.
2: I know because I checked it out myself and it's amazing. But one of the reasons we haven't been responding to users is because, like I said, YouTube is removing comments. Now, a few of them, what will happen is I'll get a notification on the little bell icon, and it'll show up there. But when I go into the actual video itself to view the comment or into our management site on YouTube, it doesn't show up. So uh, what's happening is YouTube, I guess, when you post a link or when you do something that I guess their stupid algorithm it says is a no-no, uh, it just removes it. And there's nothing we can do about it. Nothing we can do to find it. So if you are commenting on YouTube and we aren't answering you, it's not because we're ignoring you. It's probably because we just didn't even know you commented. I would suggest anyone that wants to leave a comment. If you're sure YouTube is going to let it through, go for it. If not, shoot us an email. Email us. Yeah. the podcast at gmail.com. That's a better way to make sure that we're going to get it. But uh, that's from user Kajek, uh C-A-J-E-K. And I absolutely can't thank you enough. Like Chris said, that uh, subreddit is absolute gold. I suggest everybody go to it. It's r slash persecution fetish. So yeah, thank you, K-Jek. Uh the Next up in the mailbag, uh, this is a long one. But uh, so remember our our, our boy uh, Stoffy from last week? Yes. Yep. He responded to our response. So this is a long one, so bear with me. Uh, he does tell us how to pronounce his name and he does confirm he's a dude. So here we go. Uh, so first of all, he says, thanks for the reply on the show. It's always great to hear from you all. Just wanted to point out some things, respond to a couple of comments and give an update on my previous update. First, I am a guy. LOL. Don't sweat the misgendering mistakes happened. Second, my screen name is actually pronounced staffy. not Stuffy. But if you like, you can call me Eric.
1: Stuffy. <laughs> so, I, I, I Mr. I would like you to know that uh, it was only when talking about this ahead of the show that Kay and I found out there was a U in the name. <laughs> yeah. We just took Matt's word for it and thought it was S-T-U-F-F-Y. Mm-hmm.
2: Th- that's on me. Sorry. <laughs> because I can't pronounce names that I don't understand. But, but, but we digress. Yeah, Sometimes yeah. I
0: think there should be a pr- pronunciation guide with some usernames. Uh, just,
1: you heard me butcher the Cuban brigade names. Yeah, that's I mean, fair. <laughs> it's, it's not just you. So anyways, he goes on
2: to say, it's been a couple of days since I last list, since I listened to the latest episode, so I apologize if I misquote or misrepresent your points that you were making. I'm going in off memory at the moment. Chris made a comment along the lines of someone using a technique on a suspect, but since uh, the officer had jiu-jitsu training, that makes using the move okay. Now, for those of you that don't remember, this is Stuffy, Stuffy was... Eric, there we go, Eric was bringing up the point that in in his home state, they're instituting a program to give police officers jujitsu training, and basically they can't complete their academy training until they've received, I believe it was a purple belt. And so Chris was responding to that. So what he comes back with, he's like, uh, no, that doesn't make it okay. He's like, a a huge part of Brazilian jiu-jitsu and most martial arts is de-escalation and avoiding a fight when possible. Having any, any sort of belt doesn't okay abuse of any techniques, but the mentality that, quote, hopefully, develops on your way to the blue—oh, sorry, it's a blue belt—will dissuade you from using any techniques that could result in injury. That's the point he's making in response to you. Uh, does he, he goes on to say, will there be assholes and psychopaths who misuse these tools? Absolutely. The martial arts community does its best to weed these people out and discipline those who abuse others with these techniques. Uh, learning any art should go beyond go beyond mere collecting and focus on char- uh, changing how someone's views uh, conflict and the necess- necessity of de-escalation. We want to show law enforcement alternatives to excessive and deadly force, not complement their abuse. Am I thinking too nobly about cops in this sense?
0: Maybe. Yes hundred percent. Yes, absolutely.
2: But but only because I've seen the positive effects training has had on mine and others' lives and see that as a way to help change the system. By the way, I know the reality is that the entire policing system needs to be burned to the ground and rebuilt.
1: Exactly. And that's the thing. So, Eric, you're right. Martial arts training of any kind typically has a beneficial effect on people. It trains you discipline and conflict resolution and, and balance and peace and focus. But we're talking about cops. I mean, again, it's like, I don't, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic here, but like, oh, let's go ahead and get the Gestapo, you know, fucking ninjutsu training. It's like, it's not going to help because the problem is not their training. The Problem is them. The Problem is you have a bunch of guys with tiny wieners who only got C's in high school and really needed to be told they were special and really have a power complex. These are people who are not lacking training. These are people who are lacking confidence And need to be the special boy who's in charge of other people and has a gun. And no amount of martial arts training fixes that. Counseling fixes that. So I'm all for them getting better martial arts training after they go to some fucking therapy.
2: In line with that, he did provide us with an example. So he's like, I wanted to give you guys an update on our Adopt-a-Cop thing. We had a few join us last week for a fundamentals class. I picked one of them to train with me and one of my other friends picked another. The guy I trained with that evening seemed genuinely interested in learning about positioning and doing what he could to not strike, period. He seemed to want to be better and I'm always more than happy to help that. The other cop made some joke about people looking for a bite and said he's happy to oblige on the streets, going in line with what Chris has been saying. My friend looked at him and said, come on, man, that's not funny. If you just want to fight, then we have a striking classes where you can spar. The second guy has not shown up again, and I do worry about the next person he comes into contact with. The last thing he says here is, sorry if this came off as a little rambling. It's just something I'm passionate about, and I tend to get sidetracked mid-sentence. If any part comes across as aggressive, it's a total accident, and I got nothing but love for you guys in the show. Uh, I don't think any of that was aggressive at all. I think you were just giving not, us your not take. in the and- least.
1: Not even all, and even though I vehemently disagree with Eric, I think all his intentions are completely noble and are they're in the right place. One hundred percent. Like I think, I think Eric is desperately trying to solve a terrible problem. I just think he has far too much faith in some of these people.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, again, I I think I agree with Chris and and uh, Eric here. I think the intent is noble. I'm not convinced, uh, you know, I think for every one cop you get that's like the, the guy you were training, Eric, I think you're probably going to get 10, 20 more that are like the guy that was just there to learn how to hurt someone. Yeah. So he could really damage them if it came to that. Uh, but I do like your take. I do like that you're doing it. And I really appreciate you following up with the follow up. I, 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 the my, One of the things I love at the end of each episode is when we're having these conversations with our listeners. I like to keep it going. Eric, if you want to hit us up, absolutely feel free to keep coming with it. Love to hear from you. Anybody else that wants to hit us up either on comments from other users or if you want to talk about the episode, which we just at length discussed, please do, especially this time around, especially if you disagree with us on any of the points you raised. We want to hear that. I'm open to hearing it. That's the other thing too is I'm open, open. I think we all are open to having our minds changed. If you've got something you think we aren't thinking about, an angle we haven't approached, facts we've ignored or think we don't know about, give them to us. I want to hear it. I'm, I'm open to having my mind changed. I absolutely am. Yeah. But I will say ahead of this, all of us have the positions we do because of that openness. We constantly try to make sure that we have the that we are right in the positions that we take. So I would rather be wrong, shown to be wrong, and then change my mind so I can be right than to just be wrong and never be told otherwise. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's all for my mailbag this week, guys. I'll have some more next week. Uh but uh that's all you got from me.
1: Awesome. Keep sending thanks, it in, guys. Matt. Firstly, we 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 fucking love talking to you. Uh we love hearing your opinions, even if you don't agree or if you do, keep them coming. We will we'll always be here reading them. Well, thanks for being here, guys. Uh we appreciate it. Thanks for coming with us in this deep dive into Cuba. This uh wasn't going to be a topic this week until all of a sudden uh, American conservatives and liberals went apeshit over bringing Cuba to our freedom. Um, so stay informed. Look it up. If you don't agree with me, that's cool. Read it up. Email me. Tell me why I'm wrong. Send me some facts. And don't just look for stuff that fits your opinion. Again, I actually used to not like communism and socialism a long time ago. Uh, it, it was through reading and, and look for opinions that aren't yours and open yourself up to the possibility that people you like can be wrong and people you love can be even more wrong and people you despise can be right. So, but until then, uh, thanks for letting us be here. Come back next week. We will see you here. We'll be here with all kinds of nuggets of all left goodness and maybe some Cuban sandwiches. Until then, Ooh, I love Cuban sandwich. Oh, they're fucking delicious,
2: Cubanos, man. Oh,
1: yeah, they're, they're all with the pickle in them. Oh, so good. Anyway, I'm gonna go make Cuban sandwich. But until then, guys, uh, take care of each other, take care of yourselves, and uh, remember, the revolution is you.